Welcome back to another edition of the Barium Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the flagship show. This is our big show for the week. I know it sounds weird with me being on here, especially flying solo, but you know how schedules go and people have things to do. So I have no problem stepping in after a long weekend and hitting on all of those big Bayern Munich and German national team topics that we all saw last week. So why not get right down to it? There was so much that happened. Obviously, with Bayern Munich, the big news was, if you want to just talk about games, a 2-1 victory over Borussia Mönchengladbach. It was nice to see Bayern go on the road, go to Borussia Park, pick up the dub, and do so in an impressive fashion, not because they looked great during the game or that it was this back-and-forth thriller, but because they toughed it out. It took a lot of grit. It took a lot of perseverance. And because of all of that, Byron was able to pull out the three points in a situation where a lot of people did not have faith in them. So, of course, that was the big news on the pitch. There was so much that happened off of it, and we will hit on just about everything. So with that Gladback game, a couple of things I would like to, to note. Uh, I, I talked a little bit about the grittiness and the perseverance that Byron was able to show, but I think it it's much more than that. Gladback had no intention of playing in that game. They wanted to sit back like we have seen so many times before. They wanted to absorb Byron's possession. They wanted to do nothing more than take advantage of a bad touch here or there, look for an intercepted pass, but mostly just get in the way and hope that shots wouldn't leak through. And for the majority of the match, Gladback did a fantastic job of that. It was annoying. It was not fun. But that's how a team like Gladback is going to have to face Bayern Munich. We've seen it a million times in the past. And listen, I give them credit. They were very successful in doing what they did. Bayern, of course, was able to pull away through goals from Leroy Sané and Matisse Tell. Tell came off the bench and had a, I mean, you want to talk about a thrilling goal. And it's not because it was just this individual effort, but the timing of it, when it happened, how he did it coming in off the bench, especially after the nonsense that he had to go through after the DFL Super Cup. It was good to see the kid come up big in a moment like that. And and I've said this for a while now. He is not a kid who's ready right now. He can't be the man right now at Bayern Munich. But that doesn't mean he can't get there at some point. So I do like what Bayern is doing with him. I like that they're bringing him along slowly. He's going to get his opportunities but right now he's not going to be a starter. And to me, what better way to learn how to play the striker position than from Harry Kane? And if Byron sees him as a wing, great. He's got some awesome resources there to learn from as well. And he's got different types of wings that he can study and learn from. Kingsley Coman is a completely different kind of wing than Leroy Sané. And Serge Gnabry does something a little bit different than both of them. So I think Tell is in a good spot for his development. But one of the interesting subplots, and this is our first big topic of this show, is how is Bayern Munich failing to get Harry Kane involved? Because right now, Harry Kane has not been an, as big a part of the offense as you would like. And personally, I'm not super worried about that at this point. He's a new player on a new club in a new league. He's got a lot of moving parts going on around him. He's got a manager who... 
might not be the biggest fan of some of the players that he has to start. There's just, there's a lot going on to this. So chemistry wise, I'm not expecting Kane to step in and look like he's been with Bayern Munich for the last seven years. We we all knew that that would not happen. Still, I love the way he is playing right now. I love what he's bringing to the pitch each and every time he goes out there. He's calm and composed on the ball. He's got great vision. He's making good runs. He just simply isn't getting the ball as much as he should. Now, there are a couple ways to look at this. Is this something tactically that Thomas Tuchel's doing that is not setting uh, Kane up for success, that it's not putting other players in positions to get Kane the ball? We don't know what is going on behind closed doors. We don't know the strategy that's being laid out. We don't know what Tuchel has told Kane his role is in terms of how he interacts with those players. But what we do know is in the past, despite all of the talent that they have, Kingsley Coman, Leroy Sané, Serge Gnabry, Jamal Musiala, players like that, they have not always been the best at integrating the striker into the attack. And we know that because Robert Lewandowski in his last season with the club was thoroughly annoyed at the lack of service that he was getting. And with Lewandowski, it was always tough to tell because he was never really happy about anything. Uh, but you could watch those games and you could see the frustration on his face. You could see the amount of times that his teammates missed him or that they would just not actively try and get him involved. And I am a believer that when you have a striker of that ilk, when you have someone that talented and so productive that you have to go out of your way to feed that striker. And it's one of the things that I do think that Bayern Munich absolutely could improve on specifically the wing players. Now, right now, Musiala is hurt and he was struggling when he was healthy to work with Kane. So when we got to this Gladbach game and Thomas Muller finally got the start, I was expecting big things because if anyone knows how to work with a world-class striker, it's Thomas Muller. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see how that partnership would really work because Gladbach sat back and they were so compact and they just mucked everything up so poorly that even though Muller and Kane each individually had good games, and I think they both did, they weren't able to combine and interact like I thought we would see. So it was a little disappointing from that respect, but I would still like to see them in a normal game to see how they interact and what that relationship would look like. So I'm not ready to say Muller is in that position like Coman and some of the others who just simply sometimes don't make the right decisions. But with those players, I mean, they're all dynamic talents. And specifically, when you look at Coman, he is so disruptive in, in, in just a million ways. He's not a great finisher by any means, but he can break down a defense and he can create offense for others. He just has not been at the top of his game this season. Leroy Sané has been very good at scoring, but he has not, I would say, been at his best in creating so far. His runs have been excellent. He has obviously done a good job scoring goals, but he has also not been able to really take advantage of having a player like Kane. And to me, it's a little bit concerning when you have seasoned players, experienced players like Coman and Sané and even Serge Gnabry, who did not start against Gladbach, but who was obviously also played with Kane in earlier games this season. The fact that it almost looks as if those players aren't willing to change what they're doing to accommodate Kane is, it is a little concerning. And I think that Tuchel will rectify the situation, 
I think that all of those players know how to play with a, a great striker and they know what they need to do. I just think right now they are a little reluctant to change their ways. So it's going to take coaching. It's going to take Tuchel to detail to them what he wants. And I'm not saying that every player has to go out and just pass the cane all the time. I don't think that's the answer. I think there needs to be a threat there at all points. So when you're Coman, the defense needs to respect you in terms of what you're going to try and do to attack yourself and what you're going to try and create for your teammates. But Tuchel's going to have to get that message across. He's going to have to find a way to get those players to balance what they want to do and look for their own shot and, and try and drive through a million people, whatever, because we've seen some of that. But they're also going to have to find ways to get the ball to Kane. And it's not like his movement has been poor or that he hasn't been in good positions. He's actually leaving that natural striker position in the center of the pitch to go to other areas just to get on the ball so he can impact the game somewhat. So there definitely should be some concern from fans about how it has looked because while Kane has been productive and, and you know, unfortunately he did not score in this Gladbach game, things have been good with him. I, I think he's integrated nicely and I think he's got a lot to offer still. But for me personally, I'm not going to go overboard and think that this is going to be a failure or the other players around Kane won't be able to make it work. Uh, you know, I would like to see Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka also try and find Kane a little bit more. It's not as if those players can't do it. It's not as if they won't do it. But I think Tuchel is going to have to rally the troops and he's going to have to get his brain working to try and figure out a way to get the most out of Harry Kane. Because you don't go out and you don't spend nine figures on a player like that and not have a plan for how to maximize what you're going to get out of him. So I think Tuchel will do it. Listen, I'm not the biggest Tuchel fan by any means, but I think he can't screw up the, the Kane acquisition. And I think that if he starts to look at how some of the other players are working around Kane, he's going to, to start fixing the problem. And I do believe that if Tuchel can do anything, it is look at something tactically that's not working and figure out a solution to it. And I know that sounds kind of dumb because last year he really had no answers and almost cost them the Bundesliga. But this is a situation where he's going to know what to do with Kane. And I do believe that the players around him will improve and, and figure it out basically, because you don't want to have that kind of star. You don't want to have that kind of productive player, not, you know, honestly, not getting as many touches as he needs. So the team's going to have to improve around him with that. And I, I do think that they'll get there. Now, aside of the Gladbach game, <laughs> there were, wow, the transfer window closed on Friday and it was absolutely insane. BFW was a madhouse. I mean, we were ripping out one day. I think we had over 20 posts, which, you know, we have a normal set schedule and we don't deviate it deviate from that really too much but we did in this instance because news was flying everywhere it was absolutely crazy and Bayern Munich did some really really good business and I mean what can you say they they went out if you look at the whole of the window I mean they did a fantastic job so let's just run down who they brought in and 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 we will touch on who they did not bring in because that might be the bigger uh uh i guess topic for some fans but bringing in harry kane for 100 million kim min jay for 50 daniel Pretz for 5 million all good moves i think honestly kane i think 
it was just fantastic business. I know some people were worried about the cost, but that's the going rate. You want a striker of that stature, you have to pay that. Kim Min Jay, so far, so good. Listen, he hasn't been perfect on the field. Still think he's not quite in tip-top shape, which is kind of funny because we read so much about you know, his physical condition, yet he he seems to be gassed midway through every game. So that we'll call that the Serie A effect. And just like Matthijs Delict last year, I would anticipate that Kim Min Jae is able to uh, get his endurance built back up. Daniel Peretz, I mean, honestly, we don't know a lot about him. He looks like a good prospect. He was cheap. And Byron needed a third goalkeeper. And you could argue that they put themselves in a bad spot. But, hey, uh, you know, there was a lot of moving and shaking going on when you when you loan out Alexander Nubel, who, by the way, had a great game for Stuttgart this weekend, Johannes Schenk, and then you sell off Jan Sommer. You're obviously going to have to build back up some depth. And it looks like Peretz is a quality prospect. Otherwise, Byron brought in Conrad Limer and Rafael Guerrero on free transfers. Look, they're both good pickups, both good options. We saw Limer really I did well at right back, and I wasn't sure how he would adapt, but I thought he did a great job there. So I feel a little bit more secure about Byron's depth at right back, knowing that. Uh, obviously, he's also a very good central midfielder. Guerrero, who's been injured, can play at left back and in the central midfield. Another good depth signing. So Byron did a fantastic job in the business of bringing in players. When you look at the players that left, I don't shed too many tears here. Luca Hernandez, as I theorized way back at this time last year, was going to leave Bayern Munich, and he did. And I know that there's a lot that went into that. And you can say I'm talking out of my backside, and sometimes maybe I am, but I just had a feeling way back when that Hernandez was going to leave, and he ultimately he did. He took a big payday at PSG. The only disappointing part for me is he was the club's record transfer signing at 80 million and they only got 45 million for him. Of course, the reason for that is no one really knows how he's going to hold up after that ACL tear. Uh, you know, will he have the burst that he had? I don't know. I mean, I'm not watching PSG right now, but that's something I really want to take a look at. And I guess when start to get some more visibility to those matches, maybe at Champions League time. I do want to see how Hernandez looks. And it, if he doesn't have that burst, he is not the same player because that was such a huge part of his game. Uh, sure, he's got he's good on the ball. He's very physical and aggressive, but that burst is what made him an exceptional player. Ryan Gravenberg was sold to Liverpool for $40 million. Uh, Listen, <laughs> no love lost there. Gravin Burke came in as a highly touted prospect, didn't really do anything, complained to the media several times. Byron did great business. They bought him for $18.5 million, sold him for 40 a year later. Not too shabby. Benjamin Pavar went to Inter Milan for $30 million. Listen, Pavar to me was a <laughs> he was a guy who got way more, uh, I guess. He got bagged on way more than he should have. He was a very solid player, a versatile player, did a lot for the team. I liked him. I liked the edge that he played with. I think Inter Milan got a very good deal there. At $30 million to get that caliber of a player, really good business for Inter Milan. Byron's hands were a little bit tied on that sale. Everyone knew that Pavar wanted to leave. He wanted to go to Inter Milan. Once he, once he, once he made that decision, it was all over. Byron was not going to be able to do any better, better than what it got. So that situation was what it was. Sadio Mane, of course, went to Al Nasser for thirty million. That's great business because he's cooked. Uh, Marcel Sabitzer to Borussia Dortmund. 
you could argue that strengthening one of your biggest league contenders probably um, was not the best move, but Byron did get 19 million for him. Money wise, that's pretty good. I mean, I think that I can't remember exactly what the fee was that Byron paid. It was somewhere 12 to 15 million. Uh, it's what Byron paid to RB Leipzig, but they got something for Sabitzer, which was good. I thought Sabitzer got a bad rap. Of course, he was not good when he first came over, but he went from being the man at Leipzig to have absolutely no role and no plan for him at Bayern Munich. So, you know, I still say he went into a rut. It was mentally very tough for him to accept. Not playing was a killer for a guy like him. So that's why I think he did better last year. He took advantage of Goretzka being hurt, and then he had a great loan assignment over to Manchester United. Uh, Marcel Sabitzer, to me, uh, got a little bit of, you know, he took a little bit more guff than he should have for his time at Bayern Munich. Jan Sommer went to Inter Milan. Again, Bayern's hands were tied on this one. They had a gentleman's, uh, gentleman's agreement with Summer that he would be able to leave if Neuer was on track to come back. They fulfilled that obligation. They only got $6.75 million for him. I know I say only. I mean, think about it. if I got handed that check right now, I would love life. But, uh, you know, it, that, that situation was it was crazy because Summer did what he was supposed to do. He came in and provided that top-notch level goalkeeper that Bayern Munich needed last season in the second half. But with Neuer coming back, he was really no longer needed. And I know that ultimately, if you want to follow the way the dominoes fell, Summer leaving made Bayern have to go out and spend $5 million on Daniel Peretz. But listen, it, this is what happens in sports. When you have an agreement, even if it's a gentleman's agreement with a player, you fulfill it. And I'm glad that Byron did that. Uh, to me, it was ethically the good thing to do, even though it did put the roster depth in a weird position. Alexander Nubel went to VFB Stuttgart on loan. For Byron actually pocketed $1 million on that. Nice business there. Nubel wants zero parts of being at Bayern Munich, but he did really well for Stuttgart this weekend. And Hey, if he can continue to progress, that might be a good opportunity for Byron to actually make some real money off of him next summer. Malik Tillman went to PSV Eindhoven again. Loan deal, one million Byron got. Tillman had zero shot at playing at Bayern Munich, so that's a good move for him. Gabriel Vidovic, Dinamo Zagreb, five hundred K. That's what Byron got. It's time for Vidovic to actually prove himself as a potential roster player at Bayern Munich or basically move on. I have a feeling this will be it for him. Uh, I'm hoping he is successful. So Bayern can at least get some kind of fee for him, but Vidovic did not do so great last season of a test. And he, listen, he's, he's got to go out and perform. This is a young kid who, who did well in the, you know, in the times that he was playing for Bayern Munich too. The brief appearances that he had with the first team, I thought he acclimated very well to that setting, but he's got to prove it, and this is a good opportunity for him to do that. Daily Blind left, went to Girona for free, so no big deal there. Same with Bright RMB. Went to Hanover 96. Uh, that was very interesting because when RMB arrived at Bayern Munich, he was really heralded as a player that had the potential to make the first team, but quite frankly, never got any better. And I don't know if that's on the player or if it's on the system at Bayern Munich uh, for development. So no big loss there. Josip Stanisic, the most controversial <laughs> uh, loan of the summer. We've talked about Stanisic at length. I mean, 
my mind, it was a great move for him. He's going to be exposed to Xavi Alonso. He's going to get a chance to probably play both outside back position, center back, probably a little bit of defensive center mid. So he's going to get a lot of good experience at, at in a top league. The only problem is Bayern Munich really needs him right now because of that versatility, losing as many players as they have. This is one of those weird situations where it's a great move for the player, but a terrible move for his parent club. So I get both sides of the argument. Ultimately, in my mind, I just want Bayern Munich to know at the end of this season whether or not Stanisic is a long-term part of this roster or if they need to sell him and move on. I do think he's going to be capable of starting and playing somewhere, but it might not be at Bayern Munich. So uh, this is really the season where he's going to go out have to go out and prove himself in the Bundesliga so Byron can really assess where it is with him and what they need to do with him moving forward. A couple of loans of youngsters, which I think are good spots. Obviously, Paul Vonner went to SV Elversburg and had an assist this weekend, so great star for him. Arian Ibrahimovic went to Frosinone. So that is, listen, these are two kids. They have a lot of potential. They have talent. When you watch them, you can see they just look different, but they need to prove their mettle. And what better way to do it than out on loan? Because they were not going to get time here uh, on the first team. So big, uh, big chances for both of them. Johanna Schenk went to Prussian Munster. I don't know how that's going to work. He has not played yet, at least uh, up until this weekend. I don't know if he was involved in the match this weekend, but not a uh i'm not very hopeful for that one byron has not really uh done well with loaning out their young goalkeepers with the exception of nuble who really wasn't that young so i don't know if we count that but those that was the big moving and shaking of byron munich during the transfer window uh we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about a couple of those players that byron munich did not get and i know that a lot of fans have strong opinions on that so hang with us we'll be right back Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Varian Podcast Works. This is the flagship show, and this is Chuck Smith. As I said before I took that break, one of the biggest topics that that really was, I mean, it controlled BFW as a site. People were all over the place. As soon as Byron started to sell off Gravenberg and we saw some of the other players move and the depth of the squad became an issue, people really did start to panic because when you – Look at Pavar and, and Gravenberg in particular. Pavar being able to play center back and right back, just a huge thing for any coach to have on the roster. And, and the fact that he did so at a very high level at both positions, you can't replace it. You just, you can't. Uh, Gravenberg, for as little as he actually did at Bayern Munich, he was a fourth body in the midfield. Now, I am less concerned about the midfield situation than most people. I really like Yashua Kimmich. I really like Leon Gretzka. I like Conrad Limer. And yes, I do acknowledge that Limer now is really filling that dual role of backup midfielder and backup right back. But as we saw against Gladbach, he can do right back. He can play that position well. And we know that he can be a good, solid midfielder. So I'm feeling fairly good about that situation. You might say, yo, moron. Okay, so that's just three midfielders. What happens if somebody gets hurt? What happens then? What's your plan? Okay, I get it, and I totally understand that argument, but when I look at the other players, I mean, Thomas Tuchel himself has talked about the team's great depth at certain positions. One of them is in the attack, 
And what we do know about Jamal Musiala is that he can drop back and play as an eight or as part of a double pivot. And he can do so with a plum. So yes, of course it's not ideal, but you do have Thomas Muller who can backfill Musiala's role. So I'm fairly confident that if push really came to shove, Musiala could step back and do the job. And Muller, of course, as the 10 could do a great job. So I think that's a possibility. I also look at Rafael Guerrero, knowing he's not going to get really any playing time as the backup to Alfonso Davies. Uh, I mean, unless Davies gets hurt, we're looking at, you know, Guerrero potentially getting some minutes in the central midfield, which I think, you know, he's done it before. I think he's very capable there. And it gives me a little confidence that even though we're not talking about Declan Rice coming and moving in and playing as the six, that we do have some players on the Bayern Munich roster who can step in and fill that void. And it's not just, you know, someone, some moron like me saying, you know, Musiala can play that. I mean, Hansi Flick toyed around with playing Musiala in a deeper role. Julian Nagelsmann did that. There's obviously a line of thinking that, that Musiala is a, not just a smart player, but someone is versatile and capable to be able to drop back and do the job capably. And if my memory serves me correctly, he looked pretty damn good in those appearances when he did drop back and sit a little bit deeper. In fact, I would argue that he's looked better in that role than he has at the 10 uh, since about midway mid season last year. So um, I'm okay with that situation, but the biggest thing that happened in regards to the central midfield was Jao Paulinha, who from Fulham, who who was in Germany. He got his medical. He took the social media photo shoots. I mean, he did it all. I'm sure he did all the poses and all that. And then the move fell through. And there are a lot of great conspiracy theories out there. I mean, obviously, Fulham needing a replacement, not being able to procure one was a big thing. But but the funniest one I heard was that Ma- Manchester United did not sell uh, Fulham a player who would fill that midfield void. And I believe it was, uh, was it Ho- Hoiberg. I-, I don't remember the exact player's name. And I think it was Hoiberg, but um, that that they did not sell him to Fulham because they were ultimately going to have to play Bayern Munich and did not want Bayern to get a player like Paulinho. So. I thought that was a little bit funny. I know that was like a, a crackpot tinfoil hat theory, something that I normally would come up with, but um, that was a little bit fun. But as for Paulinho, he is a player who fit the profile that Tuchel allegedly wanted, someone that was going to be a ball-winning number six. Uh, Tuchel wants that kind of player. He was very persistent about it all summer. Uh, some of the powers that be in the transfer committee did not see that as a big need and I sort of fell on that side of the uh, debate, but either way, they did attempt to go out and get Paulinho. The problem was at 60 to 70 million, which is what Fulham wanted. I don't know if it was worth it because not only are you going to pay that fee, but you're also going to get a salary that was no doubt going to, I mean, it was going to be somewhere between 12 and 18 million per season. And I always say this, like, it's not my money. What do I care? But I didn't think it was a move that would be worthwhile because I do think eventually when you get to next summer, you could potentially be losing Alfonso Davies. I mean, hell, you could be losing Yasuo Kimmich. Leon Goretzka has not exactly been treated great. Uh, Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry are certainly players who have been linked to moves. Same with Leroy Sané. 
Jamal Musiala has even been linked to move. So we don't know what the future holds for a lot of this team. I would have been very hesitant to spend that much knowing that I might have to go out next summer and replace a lot of good players. So with all that, I wasn't thoroughly disappointed about not getting Paulina. And as it turns out, that move might go down in January anyway. So uh, there are still some things going on, a lot of wheels still turning with that. It does seem like Byron's going to keep an eye on him. And if things go well, we could see a deal go down in January for him. As far as the other position of concern goes, right back, you know, as I stated earlier, we saw Conrad Limer coming and do a very good job once Nuzar Mizrahi uh, left the game. He had a yellow card against Gladbach. He was actually playing really reckless. Like, I like the edge that he has. I mean, it's to get a player who is that aggressive and, and, and you know, honestly, uh, he gets under the skin of the opposition a little bit and he's very vocal. It's great to have someone like that. The problem is you're going to be very susceptible to yellow cards. So uh, knowing that he was on one, Tuchel pulled the trigger, moved Limer there. Limer did great. But I do understand that the lack of depth at right back has people concerned. And you might be sitting out there saying, oh, well, wait a second there, Hoss. What about Bunasar? And just like Herbert Heiner, I temporarily even forgot he was on the roster because who the hell would even remember? I mean, Sar has the life. He's collecting a big paycheck somewhere around $3 million. I mean, listen, it's relative. It's not Harry Kane's paycheck, but it's pretty damn good if you're going to be a professional footballer and you're basically paid to work out, train, and then hang out. Like, that's a great job. I mean... I don't know if it gets much better than that. Maybe backup quarterback, left-handed reliever in the bullpen, you know, fourth line checking center in the NHL. I mean, those are all great roles. You know what I mean? But uh, 12th man on the bench in the NBA, I'm just saying there are some good roles where you can make some money. But for Saar, I mean, I, I don't factor him into the mix, and I don't think Thomas Tuchel will either. You know, we did see Trevo Chaloba from Chelsea as, as an option. I wasn't necessarily a big fan of that especially the price tag associated with him was somewhere between 40 and 60 million which is again ridiculous why would byron pay that uh armel bella caught chap was another player that byron munich was allegedly looking into and i just didn't get it because i don't see it in him yet uh, i know he's highly touted and i've seen him obviously play with germany and i don't know i'm not necessarily a huge fan i'm not saying he can't get there but right now he's not doing enough to impress me that i thought it would be a good job for or a good idea i should say for Bayern munich to go out and spend any type of significant money on him as it turns out he ended up going uh to the netherlands on a loan so southampton did unload him but not to Bayern munich either way uh byron does have some depth issues if you're like me and there's not many of you out there you're not overly concerned Listen, I know it's late to say it, but I'll be concerned when those injuries happen. And and maybe they'll happen, maybe they don't. But I like some of the options that Byron has out there. And and I sure, would I feel more comfortable if Stanisic was on the roster? Absolutely, because if Stanisic was here, he could play right back. He could back up left back. He could play in the central midfield. He could be a center back. But again, Byron, at the time that they loaned him, it, it was a great arrangement to get the kid under the, the watchful eye of Zabi Alonso, to be able to play in the Bundesliga, to be a contributor on that team. It was a good setup for the kid. 
and it was a good setup for the club to see him develop and see what he could be. Unfortunately, the way things broke out, Byron does need a player of that exact profile on their roster. So you win some, you lose some with that. We'll see how it goes in terms of injuries, but Byron is set up nicely. This is a very talented roster. I think that that the transfer committee, which according to Herbert Heiner, is no longer going to be in place. I think they did a great job. I mean, this was a tough spot when Brazo and Oliver Kahn were let go. You had to, to dust off Olihonas. You had to dust off Carl Heinz Rumenega. You had to then get them to collaborate with some of the new people around Marco Nepp being one of them. Uh, Jan Christian Driesen, uh, the new CEO, and they all had to come together and pull off one, a massive transfer of Kane, and then backfill some of the other areas that needed to be addressed. I think if you had to go back and look at things and, you know, what could Byron have done differently? Obviously, status is one. I think going a little bit further to convince Benjamin Pavard to stay would have been very beneficial, not just for his versatility, but honestly, the way he played center back, he was no worse than Upamakano at times last year. And I'm not saying Upamakano was bad. I'm just saying they were both very good when they played center back for the most part. Um, and truthfully, I like Pavar better as a right back than Mizrahi, and it's nothing against Mizrahi. I just think with the way that Byron plays, having that steady presence there, uh, it often added some balance to Alfonso Davies consistently being far up the pitch. So uh, it's not that what Byron has can't work, and it's not that Mizrahi can't work, because he definitely can. He's a great talent. Um, but, you know, I get the 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 notion that Byron could have used one or two more players to really have that championship type depth that people want. I'm going in optimistic. I like what they did. I like the players they have. I really do like the composition of the roster. So I'm good with it. And I know like, listen, it, they're always one big injury away from the season being ruined. We know that we've seen it happen before. So, you know, nothing would shock me, but I'm good with Bayern Munich's roster. I like it. I know some of you disagree with that. Hit me up in the comments. Let me know. I love hearing your opinions on things, uh, especially when it comes to the roster, because everyone's got such different ideas about what works and what doesn't. And uh, it's always good to hear those different perspectives. And finally, the last topic we'll hit on. And this is something that did not get enough play because of the timing. When you're talking about the end of the transfer window, when you're talking about Byron having a game, Lo and behold, Friday morning. Yeah, I mean, you also had the Champions League draw in the mix there, too. And you, you had Germany release their squad, which was great timing for them because it got almost no attention anywhere. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like we cover Germany, the German national team better than than most other like really big money sites. I, I mean, I would put the way we cover Germany up against ESPN or anybody. I feel like the writers we have do a really good job with it. Um and quite frankly, like as an English, you know, outlet, there's not many people that do what we do. So, you know, for us not to even really hammer at home, you know, it was crazy. But Flick released the squad. Obviously, there were some uh, crazy omissions, but this is all part of Flick's, you know, laboratory plan. He's mixing and matching. Let's just get it out of the way. Thomas Muller and Leon Gretzka were, were not called up. Those were the two biggest, most controversial omissions in my mind um listen Mueller it's whatever he he's older now 
he could use the rest. You know, I do think Flick will call him for the Euros. Goretzka, I think this was more of a message. And we've seen Flick play this game before because he did it with Nicholas Sula uh, during the last call where he left Sula home because he wasn't happy with Sula and some of Sula's issues with professionalism. Maybe, listen, we know Flick had been a real critic of Sula's fitness. He sent Sula a message last time around, and I do believe Sula got the message because he was selected this time. I think Flick was pulling the same act with Goretzka. There were some things with Goretzka's game that I don't believe Flick has been happy with. We know Thomas Tuchel has not been happy with. Listen, you can talk a lot about Goretzka, and he has been great at certain points in his career, and other times he's been mediocre. And I do think like sometimes... And you have to be careful when you say this because you don't want to offend too many people. But I do feel like some of the things with the armband issues and things like that, he did create some distractions. And it, obviously, I'm not just saying that. We know it because there was a lot of disagreement in the German national team with how it went down. Regardless of how you feel about the issue, and really, to be honest, I don't really care how anybody feels about it at this point. I'm looking at it straight from how it affected the team. There was just too much back and forth about something that wasn't the game. And for Goretzka, I do think that that kind of hurt it. And I think that it was probably perceived by some of his teammates or by the coaching staff that he was distracted figuring out what to do. And I know Manuel Neuer was was right in the mix with him with that. They were both strongly advocating to wear the rainbow armband and, and all of that. And it's great that they feel so strongly about that. But of course, we know, and I hope that the the documentary that Amazon Prime did on this will will show some of this. Not everybody was fully in line with having to make a political statement at that point. So, regardless, again, the topic to me doesn't matter. It could have been any social issue. The point is, I think Goretzka irked some people, and this was probably Flick's message for him to to get zeroed in on his footballing and maybe worry less about some of the other stuff. And right or wrong, no matter how you feel about it, I'm just theorizing that that is maybe what happened because Gretzka, quite frankly, you know, he had played two Bundesliga games and was great in both of them. So I never once thought that Gretzka would not be selected for the team. And I was shocked, to be honest, because I thought he had been so good that, you know, listen, I always just assume he's going to be in it because they're like, let's be honest, Germany doesn't have that many great midfielders right now anyway. I mean, Tony Kroos might actually be a great selection at this point. And I know I was one of the people beating for him to, to you know, beating the drum for him to fall in line. If Yogi Love was going to get rid of the other veterans, then Kroos should have been right with them. Like, flip the switch or don't. You can't half-ass it. Either way, I'm not going back two years and discussing that. Either way, we all know how we all feel about that. But Germany's team, Oliver Bauman, Marc-Andre Tristegen, Kevin Trapp, the goalkeepers, defenders, Emery Chan, Robin Gozens, Benjamin Heinrichs. Joshua Kimmich listed as a defender cracked me up. We all know he's not going to play there. Felix Nemecha, again, a defender. Not sure why he was listed there. He's definitely a midfielder. And this, I'm talking, this is the straight squad list from the German national team, how they released it. I mean, when we wrote up our post, we obviously did not include those players as defenders, but uh, Antonio Rudiger, Nico Schlotterbeck, Nicholas Sula, Jonathan Ta. Malik Tiao, midfielders and attackers. That's how I feel about the end part of that. Um, midfielders and attackers, Julian Brandt, Nicholas Fulkrug, Serge Gnabry, Pascal Gross. 
Ilkay Gundogan, Kai Havertz, Jonas Hoffman, Jamal Musiala. We'll touch on that in a second. Leroy Sané, Kevin Shade, and Florian Burtz. Now with Musiala, it was interesting. Really can't figure out why anyone thinks it would be a good idea for him to be called up and actually play. Hearing Thomas Tuchel talk about it, it sounds like Musiala is not going to play in the first game with Germany, but the second one, and I can't, I'm racking my brain trying to figure out why anyone thinks this is a good idea. I think it's silly. Musiala should be resting and rehabbing and being getting ready for Bayern Munich games, not Germany right now. And I, I get the attraction to play for Germany. And I listen, I understand it. If if I was a professional, I'd want to represent my country too. But coming off this kind of injury, something that could easily be re-triggered, something that you know could go from a three-week injury to a six-week or eight-week injury really quickly. I would be a little more cautious with that. But looking at the squad overall, can't complain about the goalkeepers without Neuer being available. I mean, it is what it is. Those are three of the best, if not the three best after Neuer in Germany. Emery Chan, not really feeling it. Um, you know, Flick seems to like him. Flick seems to think there's a role for him. You know, I hate saying it is what it is, but it's kind of the situation with him. Benjamin Heinrichs don't get it at all. Felix Nemecha not feeling that one. Uh, Nico Schlotterbeck. Now, listen, Nico Schlotterbeck seems like he has been grandfathered in at this point, but he has been brutal for Germany. Uh, I think he's been a really big disappointment. If you're looking to send anybody a message, I would have sent it to him, to be honest with you. Jonathan Ta, don't get it one bit. Don't understand why he got the call up. For a lot of you, I guess you're willing to live with a player like Ta because Tilo Kerr did not get called this time. So, you know, listen, the, 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 Germany has its, its issues. This is far from a perfect roster. When we looked at the midfielders and attackers, I was pretty much okay with everybody. Um, you know, Kai Havertz, I, listen, I've backed him. I have, you know, supported his moves. Like, I, I don't think he should have went to Chelsea. I don't think he should have went to Arsenal. But listen, he had to go and he had to get that experience. He's looks terrible right now with Arsenal. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I just, it, it doesn't, it's not working. And he's playing as more of an attack minded eight, which I don't know if that suits him. I don't really know what suits him anymore. He's kind of a guy without a position. He looks like he's second guessing every move on the pitch these days. Regardless, he made it. So it is, you know, again, it is what it is. Uh, and I hate that saying, but with Germany, I'm kind of out of, ideas i'm kind of out of excuses the the team is is not good flick started out great but did not do a good job since that point i'm most disappointed because flick does not seem to have a handle on what he's going to do with this roster um you could look at some of the players who we left off and and honestly with the way germany is right now other than gretzky and muller who are you going after marco royce is done Mats hummel seems done Lucas Klosterman uh, has been hurt, but it's not like he was going to come in and, and really be an impact player. Christian Gunter, same thing. I mean, it's good player, but like, is he going to make that big of a difference? David Rom, again, a player who had a lot of acclaim, uh, a lot of hopes tied to him. He just hasn't been that good, and Flick left him home, and you know, my mind deservedly so. It, 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 I struggle. I mean, 
one of the other big names, and you guys will love crushing me on this one, but Tino, Timo Werner, a known Flick favorite, was not called. So Flick is trying different things. My only beef with it is, at this point, what is he like? You're, you're less than a year away from the Euros that you are hosting as a country. When you're looking at this roster, if this was the roster that went, would it have any chance? Absolutely not. I, I, I They wouldn't get out of group play. And that's how I feel. Now, listen, I, I know Timo Werner's not pushing them over. I think at some point, Werner, though, is, is one of Germany's top players. And I think that, like Muller, like Goretzka, he'll be right back in the mix. But Flick is doing what he needs to do. He's sending messages to guys. And I do believe Werner is another player that he's absolutely sending a message to. It hasn't been good enough. It hasn't been consistent enough. It needs to be better, especially in the Bundesliga. And if Timo Werner wants to get his butt back on the German roster, he's going to have to prove it. And I think Flick, in trying to send these messages, it's not that it won't work or it can't work. But in the end, this team's not good enough no matter who he picks. And I hate saying it because I love watching the German national team. At some points, I almost like it watching them better than Bayern. In Bayern, you can get those lulls in the season where you get games where they're going through the motions or you've just quite frankly seen enough. But with every international break, it's a little bit exciting because Germany, you like to see how these players from the different leagues come back and function as a unit. And quite frankly, over the last year, maybe maybe 14 months or so. It just has not looked the same as when Flick original, originally took over. So this is a key time for him. The big debate that we were having at BFW uh, amongst our staffers was, you know, is it possible Flick could get fired? And, you know, there are a lot of people that don't think so. Marcus Iredal being one of them, he just doesn't believe that Western European country with such tradition, they're not going to make a move so soon with Euros. And I think that there's a lot of merit to that. I think that, you know, the last thing the Daft Bay wants is to have to make a coaching change right now. But if Germany goes out and they get mauled by France and if they lose or draw to Japan, I think things are going to get dicey for Flick. I think his seat's going to be very hot. And if the, Germany doesn't look good, we don't know how desperate the Daft Bay will be. So, Obviously, we'll have a lot to watch during this international break. It won't be one where as fans, we can just pack it in. Uh, there's a lot to observe, a lot to analyze, and I know I'm going to have a lot of fun doing it. And that will about wrap it up for this edition of the Flagship Show. Thanks for joining me on this solo mission. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Block. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get Tom Adams at TommyAdams71. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. Get all of our great writers and wonderful podcasters at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Keep supporting us there. Check out our posts. Like I said, I think we do a great job covering Bayern Munich and Germany. I might be biased since I run the site. So, uh, you know, keep hitting us up there. Check us out on social media. Tom does a great job with that account. And uh, listen, we love the interaction. So hit us up. Hit us in the comments. Hit us on social media. We love interacting with you guys. So thanks again. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next time.